The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Welcome back to Pod Save the World. Uh, I'm Ben Rhodes, and this is another special episode of Pod Save the World, uh, responding to the events in Ukraine that we've all been following. Uh, really uh, uh, quite extraordinary uh, couple of interviews, actually, so I really encourage folks to um, stay with us here. We have Tanya Kozreva, uh, who is a Ukrainian journalist. Uh, we spoke to her on the ground in Kyiv, and she gives you an incredibly vivid sense of what's going on there. Um, so I really encourage you to, to listen to, to Tanya. And then we have Max Seddon back on from Moscow, who really gives us a good understanding of the current dynamic uh, in, in Moscow and in and around the Kremlin as well. Um, it's been a very dramatic uh, few days. Um, early Thursday morning, Russia launched its full-scale invasion of Ukraine with Putin calling it a, quote, special military operation uh, intended to, among other things, uh, denazify uh, the Ukrainian government. Um, and so I think from the outset, it seemed quite clear that this was the worst case scenario of a large scale invasion uh, and really an effort to decapitate uh, the Ukrainian government and install uh, an alternative uh, Russian controlled, essentially, government. There have been explosions across Ukraine, uh, including in the capital, Kyiv, uh, which we must remember. And as you'll hear from Tanya, is a city of uh, 2.8 million people. Enormous human suffering already underway and, and tragically the, the risk of much more. Uh, right now, uh, there's really a battle underway for control of Kyiv. Um, and there have been blasts heard throughout the night. You'll hear a blast um, on our interview with Tanya. And the U.S. has been warning that Kyiv could potentially be captured uh, by Russian forces in a matter of days. Um, Putin continues to claim that it is fighting Ukrainian, quote, nationalists. He's called on Ukraine's armed forces to surrender. Um, he said uh, ominously today, take power into your own hands. It looks like it'll be easier for us to make a deal with you than this gang of drug addicts and neo-Nazis, uh, referring uh, apparently to the Ukrainian government uh, in an address he made. Um, despite that ongoing battle and those comments, uh, Putin claimed, um, although nothing he said uh, can be trusted, claimed that he was ready for talks with Ukraine's President Zelensky. Um, and President Zelensky indicated he was willing to discuss a, quote, neutral status for Ukraine. Uh, that's with respect to NATO membership. But um, I wouldn't be too hopeful about this, um, given that the Russian position on this has continued to shift. And you'll hear Max uh, talk about that in his comments. Um, for his part, uh, President Zelensky, of course, uh, has made clear his determination to resist uh, in a very powerful statement, uh, he indicated that he had intelligence that he's number one on the potential Russian kill list for people to eliminate um, as Russia moves into Ukraine. But he made clear that he's not going anywhere. Um, he's staying uh, for, for the time being, at least uh, in Kyiv, um, and really leading uh, not just the, the military operations for Ukraine, but what could become uh, the Ukrainian resistance uh, to an ongoing Russian presence in the country. Uh, Ukraine has declared martial law. It's also distributed uh, 18,000 assault rifles to citizens in Kyiv uh, to mount a continued armed defense against a Russian invasion. Ukrainian men aged 18 to 60 uh, are barred from leaving the country. They're being called up into that resistance. Uh, Ukraine's foreign minister has accused Russian forces of attacking, among other things, a kindergarten and an orphanage, calling the attacks, quote, war crimes and violations of the Rome Statute. Um, and Ukraine has said that it's gathering information to send to The Hague, the International uh, Tribunal for War Crimes. Uh, the Ukrainian Defense Ministry uh, said that its forces have taken down Russian aircraft and helicopters and more than 30 tanks since the beginning of the invasion and had killed roughly 800, quote, enemy personnel. Uh, as you'll hear me talk to Max, uh, you know, the, the, the figures we're going to be seeing uh, on both sides, uh, particularly on the Russian side, uh, in terms of casualty numbers, uh, are obviously unverified, um, and uh, we'll have to, to monitor this as closely as we can uh, in the days ahead. Um, Zelensky, for his part, said that uh, in his first comments on casualties that 137 Ukrainians had died. 
Ukraine's military has called on residents uh, to resist in other uh, parts of the country too, not just Kyiv, um, urging people to make Molotov cocktails uh, to take on the occupier. Um, Russia, though, has surrounded Ukraine from three sides. It's firing missiles from the land and the sea. Um, And we've had the initial response from the rest of the world. The European Union uh, has issued sanctions and there are reports that it's preparing to sanction Putin himself, freezing his assets and the foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov. Um, However, of course, these are going to be difficult assets to to get after. Um, The United States announced sanctions on several Russian banks, um, as well as sanctions on additional Russian oligarchs, uh, as well as export controls, which restrict uh, Russia's capacity to get access to certain technologies, which are important for uh, its economy, particularly in its tech sector. Um, And we talked to Max about this, and we've talked about this before um, on Pod Save the World. Putin is one of grave consequences for anyone considering interfering with Russian plans, uh, making allusion to his nuclear deterrent. Um, NATO has called the invasion a brutal act of war, uh, and uh, President Biden Uh, is convening an emergency session of NATO and their discussion of additional deployments uh, to support the Eastern allies within NATO. Biden also said that he is going to make Vladimir Putin, quote, a pariah on the international stage uh, in a Thursday speech, uh, reiterating that Putin is the aggressor. Putin chose this war. Now he and his country will bear the consequences. So what does uh, does all this mean? Um, We're going to unpack that with our guest. I'll I'll just say um, my takeaways thus far. First, again, I think this is the worst case scenario that we've been discussing for the last several weeks, a full-scale invasion that is going to unleash extraordinary human suffering and all manner of unintended consequences. And we don't know what those unintended consequences might end up being. Obviously, inside of Ukraine, uh, that country is never going to be quite the same again. For Russia, though, invading a country is one thing. Occupying a country uh, is another. Um, And you've already seen, I think, another main takeaway for me, the Ukrainian determination to resist feels very real here. Its politicians are not leaving the country. President Zelensky has made clear he wants to be a part of an effort to resist. Uh, The mayor of Kyiv, Mayor Klitschko, has made clear uh, that he wants to be a part of an effort to resist. You've seen other politicians uh, making clear that that's their intention. And you've seen in some extraordinary videos, ordinary citizens arming themselves and preparing to fight in the kind of insurgency uh, that we've seen in other places. Uh, Frankly, you know, even in obviously the recent U.S. experience uh, in Iraq. Um, And so we just don't know where that might lead. We've seen nascent protests in Moscow and St. Petersburg. And it should be said that uh, these are extraordinarily courageous Russians uh, who are taking extraordinary personal risks to get in the streets uh, in the numbers of hundreds, if, if not thousands, in both of those cities. And, you know, it's an indication that there's probably more opposition to the war uh, inside of Russia. Um, I talk about this a bit with Max. Um, We don't have a read on Russian public opinion. That's incredibly hard. Um, But again, invading the entire country of Ukraine is very different than uh, annexing a very distinct piece of territory like Crimea that is majority ethnic Russian here. Uh, And I think the Russian people have some sense of that. Um, and so we don't know how broad the opposition is, but it's quite possible that it could grow with time. Um, and that, again, is something I talked to Max about. We also uh, have seen the beginning of sanctions. Um, I'm curious about where that ends. Clearly, there's a reticence uh, in Europe and in the United States to do things like sanction Russian energy exports, oil and gas, um, as well as the more dramatic efforts to cut Russia off from the global financial system. However, if we start to see mass civilian casualties and we start to see potentially the assassination of leaders like President Zelensky, um, I would uh, think that there'd be growing pressure um, for much more dramatic action from U.S. and European leaders. And you hear Tanya in my interview, I think very eloquently and powerfully appealing uh, to Western leaders uh, to to do more. Um, We've seen efforts to begin to kind of isolate Russia. from the rest of the world, you know, efforts to deny Russian planes the capacity to land at airports, uh, the suspension of Russian participation in certain sporting competitions or capacity to host those. Uh, those may seem small at the beginning, but again, that could uh, continue to expand. I think the bottom line is that we're in a new phase of history. Uh, we do not live in the same world that we lived in a couple of days ago. 
in many ways, the period of history since the end of the Cold War, which was already kind of beginning to come to an end, definitively ended with this full-scale invasion. Um, you guys who've listened uh, to this for a while know, you know, this is something we talked about. I wrote a whole book about it that centered on Putin and, and his role in trying to disrupt that post-Cold War period. And, and here we are. I think I just say, as we head into this interview with Tanya, uh, I think we all feel a sense of a profound solidarity with the Ukrainian people and what they're going through. You know, I've, I've thought of this podcast, uh, I've tried to think of it as something of a community uh, of people around the world who care about things, who care about what's happening in the world, who care about rising authoritarianism in the world. Um, I, I'm sure we've had Ukrainian listeners um, as well as people in other countries. And um, I hope we all feel a connection with the the human story that's happening in Ukraine. You know, the, you can talk about the geopolitics, you can talk about sanctions policy, you can talk about Putin's intentions. Um, these are human beings. Uh, Ukraine is a country of over 44 million people. They're going through unimaginable hardship now, and it's going to get worse. Um, there are going to be refugee flows. There are going to be casualties. There's going to be Russian responses that, that we're not even anticipating right now. And there's going to be Ukrainian uh, resistance, clearly, as I said. And as this plays out, we want to continue to try to bring you voices from Ukraine and from Russia, uh, in addition to, to trying to offer some analysis here. And, and I would caution people, we're not going to know on any given day precisely what's happening, nor should we anticipate that this is a story that is going to have an end anytime soon. Um, I think this is something that's going to play out um, in, in years, um, not months or weeks. Um, but we'll continue to try to, uh, to to make sense of it as we can. And I think the best way that we can do that is to bring you the voices from on the ground. Uh, and so coming up after the break, we are going to hear from Tanya Kozreva, who is, uh, as you'll see, an extraordinarily courageous Ukrainian journalist uh, on the ground in Kyiv covering this story. Uh, so coming up after the break, we'll have Tanya. Pod Save the World is brought to you by the UN Refugee Agency. The UN Refugee Agency, or UNHCR, responds to emergencies and provides long-term solutions for refugees. They provide aid in over 130 countries, including Ukraine, Syria, Afghanistan, and Sudan, where people are forced to flee from war and persecution at their greatest moment of need. UNHCR helps and protects refugees by providing food, shelter, medical care, and other life-saving essentials. The agency jumpstarts relief in three key ways. They transport core relief items stored in even the most remote areas of the world. They deploy expert emergency staff trained to help in crisis situations, and they transfer funds directly to support the emergency. Because of generous supporters and donors, UNHCR can scale up its response within 72 hours of a large-scale emergency. Your support helps provide life-saving aid for refugees whenever and wherever emergencies occur. Donate to USA for UNHCR by visiting unrefugees.org slash donation. That's unrefugees.org slash donation. Okay, right now we are very pleased to be joined by Tanya Kozreva, uh, who is an investigative journalist based in Kyiv. Uh, she's written for BuzzFeed. She uh, was nominated for uh, Pulitzer in 2021. Uh, Tanya, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, no problem. Thank you for inviting me and for giving me the opportunity to speak. So let's just start. Uh, why don't you tell us kind of where you are and what the situation is uh, around you right now? Uh, I'm in uh, Kiev. Um, and um, now I'm based in the hotel, which is in the city center. And um, uh, we were trying to reports from the streets today but uh, the problem is that like every two hours like since 2 a.m we are woke up so i'm i'm uh, i'm sorry in advance if i will say something wrong or my english is not perfect because like everything is blurry to be honest i haven't had a sleep for a long time um the first serene um the warning for for us, for uh, people who are in Kiev right now, um, was at 2 a.m. today. 
so we went to the uh, bomb shelter and I think we spent there like the whole day. Um, and we couldn't get a chance to go and report from the streets uh, because like every two hours there is a warning mm. to go to the bomb shelter. So it's, it's, it's literally uh, barely possible to report right now for, for journalists, you know. Um, and it's very complicated situation. So now we're discussing with, with our colleagues the possibility to leave the city because we went to the grocery shops today. It's literally across the street from our hotel. And there was there was no food. Like the, the shelves were empty. And the hotel today warned us that they will probably stop operating in a few days. And, and they're short for food. They said there will be no dinner today and possibly there will be no breakfast tomorrow. Uh, so... I think it's 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 getting worse. Like it, it was it was pretty normal yesterday. You know, we went on the streets. We reported. We went to the train station. We went to the shelters, to the bomb shelters. We speak with the people on the streets. So it was uh, the situation changed completely. Mm-hmm. over the 20 24 hours you know it, it it's it's such a it's it's like i mean it's really bad right now to be honest like and uh, i have no idea how bad it's going to be in next 24 hours so now we're thinking like if it's uh, possible to go somewhere which which is out of the city just to have the possibility to buy gas and um and uh have access to f- food basically supplies and uh, to not be in a situation where the hotel will kick us out you know and we will be like without any uh good perf- and <laughs> we'll be on the street you know at some in some point so so uh, so for the uh, do you have any sense of uh kind of how much of the population remains in kiev and what their capacity is to access basic goods uh, like like food and, and water uh, and the things that you need to survive? It's it's uh, the same situation for everybody. You know, it's like the same uh, the same uh, network of gro- grocery shops all, all over Kiev. So I think the problem is that. Uh, because of the shellings, probably the grocery shops is not getting any food. You know, they're yeah. like just it's that they're just short for food, and uh, probably because of that, also many workers can cannot get to their working place. So it's barely possible to you know to basically to operate. basically normal life people going to work, people having access to things like food. Uh, today is the day that 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 kind of stopped being a possibility. Um, I think nobody, like none of my friends are going to the office right now. They're, yeah. they're stuck in their home and uh, uh, and like every two hours they're going to the bomb shelter. So it's, it's the same situation for everybody. It's not just like we are, you know, in the hotel and that's why we're trapped in the in the in the bomb shelter no it's like it's 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 like that for everybody like people are you know afraid of going out and like they're doing um any like you know they're they're doing everything possible to get food basically and water and 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 not to be short for gas because it was like it was nearly impossible to get gas like yesterday today the situation is a little bit better but now i see the problem with the food you know yeah so yeah it's it's different every day and um how are people getting information? Are they, you know, we obviously here in the U.S., you know, see when President Zelensky or Mayor Klitschko post messages uh, online. Um, but obviously, uh, you know, that, that's incomplete information in terms of the, the, the picture of everything that's happening militarily um, around Kiev. Uh, are people able to get information about warnings of what's happening are they receiving the messages that are being posted by political leaders in ukraine um are, are, are there any sense of russian efforts to disrupt information um to the people of kiev um how is that being experienced 
so one thing is uh, we have TV, which is operating, right? Everyone okay. can li live stream uh, a news channel and watch like what is going on. And reporters are reporting from the streets. So uh, it's it's okay. Uh, inform like news <laughs> news are, are delivered. Uh, also, Ukraine in Ukraine, the social media is super popular, and. Uh, the Telegram channel, we have uh, the uh, basically the um, social media, which called Telegram. It's yeah. founded in, in Russia, which is funny, <laughs> to be honest, in this situation. Uh, but uh, the, the Telegram channel are super popular. So many uh, Ukrainian politicians, uh, including Zelensky, President Zelensky has his own Telegram channel where he's like delivering all his speeches and, uh, and latest news. Uh, so, um, uh, the other option is again, Twitter, Facebook, everyone is sharing their own news, you know, and their own information. And, uh, also, I mean, in, 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 in the telegram, like all the NGOs has their own channels. So it's like the news are spread it, to be honest, like, uh, it's not the problem to deliver the news right now. And, and it's not the problem <laughs> to get the news, um, that. TV channel is not blocked and uh, and social media is also operating. So uh, news-wise, it's a lot of news. The other problem is is disinformation. You know, so yeah. right now there are a lot of you know um, a lot of facts which are spreaded through the social media and uh, and spread it through all the um, new media. Uh, they're they're mm, they're fakes you know and yeah. many many uh, um media are, are spreading fakes because they cannot verify this information or because they you know tend to believe or because it's very likely uh, a truth you know like for example um, there was a news regarding the President Zelensky and his uh, closest ally left uh, Ukraine already. Uh, so the president <laughs> and his closest allies has to make a video uh, next to the presidential administration saying, no, we are still here, we are still in Ukraine. And uh, this is uh, like, you can see us all at the same place. So we are still here, you know? So the misinformation is a big problem right now because it's hard to tell what is true and what is false. And it's possible, and it's like barely possible to verify this information. If you're, you know, if you're in the bomb shelter <laughs> yeah, and you yeah. can go and verify this information on the ground. And the other problem that everything is happening in the different parts of Ukraine and Ukraine is a huge country, you know? Yeah. So it's uh, it's other problem. Uh, so it's many challenges for the reporters right now in Ukraine, and um, besides, like you know, besides the physical threat uh, to be, you know, to be sh uh, to get into the like to get under the fire or between the fire uh, of two basically uh, for armies. It's many other challenges do not, you know, spread the misinformation and yeah. Yeah, no, I imagine. So we've seen, you know, obviously uh, amidst all of the lies uh, from uh, President Putin in Russia, the latest um, uh, messaging from the Kremlin is, is a set of demands for diplomacy that would basically require the Ukrainian government to surrender. Um, and uh, surrender essentially its sovereignty um, it, it feels like, obviously, in the message from um, President Zelensky um, and, and what we're hearing from Ukrainians, uh, it feels like that there is a determination inside of Ukraine to resist, um, for the military to continue to fight, uh, and even for uh, the citizens of Ukraine potentially to mobilize uh, to fight. Um, is, that, is, that your, is that an accurate read, that the people of Ukraine are, 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 are ready um, to, to resist uh, Russian uh, efforts uh, to, to invade and uh, really take out their government um, and, and to, to literally mobilize the not just the army, but the citizens as well, if need be? Um, yeah, I have this feeling and I can tell you that, uh, you know, right now, um, 
the parliament issue the law according to which uh, any citizens, any citizen who will show the passport can get a, a weapon and a, a gun in, in Kiev or in any other part of uh, Ukraine. So um, the guns are like, are spreading all over the country and uh, everybody is like, you know, there are uh, huge lines to get to the territorial defense units. And uh, like the reservists are coming uh, to the uh, military offices. So I think Ukrainians are ready to fight. And, uh, and you know, there will be no situation like it happened in Crimea eight years ago when, you know, Russians um, took over the military bases and they basically forced, like they had, like they offered Ukrainian military to choose either you are joining Russian army or you have to leave, you know, so most of, uh, uh, most of uh, um, mil military, uh, most of the um, people in Crimea, they decided to join the military yeah. and had option to choose, you know. Uh, but here in Ukraine, it's 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 completely different situation. A eight years uh, after this events in Crimea, and Ukraine changed. You know, it's it's a different country. I would say that it was eight years ago. It it uh, you know it it changed in the way it 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 get it. I mean, now it's more democratical country. Now yeah. it's like there is a freedom of speech. Um, media are covering amazing stories and they're doing investigations about the president, like about the top top criminals, top politicians you know it's like nobody arrested or killed here you know it's not like in russia you can easily to make an investigation and there's so much corruption in ukraine so i'm <laughs> i'm usually saying like ukrainian investigative journalists they're one of the best in the world because they have so much experience of digging <laughs> into, into someone's dirt that uh, you know none none of the other country can uh, you know uh, challenge this, um, yeah, uh, yeah, this uh, <laughs> this experience. And people don't so, want to give that up. People don't want to to, to lose that. People, yeah, people don't want to live in Russia. You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> generally yeah. speaking, the feeling is like people don't want to get like give up the democracy. Uh, people get used to live in um, in the free and democratical capital and in free and de democratical country and uh, you know we had a, a talk today with a few um, American journalists who spent here like more than 10 years you probably know them uh, uh, and we had a talk like the city will never be like it was before it's already different you know like yeah our hotel is like in the city center and it's usually so so busy that there are so many people in this uh, cafes and restaurant and it's overpopulating it's like very hip area and uh, people are getting like having coffee and discussing pol politics here you know and now it's like empty and there is like nobody you know literally nobody and it feels like a desert right now you know yeah and I, I think many people are devastated by the events which is happening because, um, you know, I mean, to be honest, we have so much, we have a lot of history common, you know, with Russia. Like we have 70 yeah. years of common history. It was a lot different events, uh, but still, uh, you know, many Ukrainians have relatives in Russia or in Belarus. So it's very complicated situation where it was hard to believe all this way that it might happen, you know? Yeah. And finally it happened. It was even a, a bigger surprise because like everybody have heard about this possibility, but not now nobody really believed that it, it could happen. Yeah. And uh, now it's like very traumatic experience for many Ukrainians just because, you know, 
um, the countries which are neighboring countries, which has a lot of uh, um, common history and relatives and friends, they're all of a sudden realize that it's an enemy, you know, and uh, and it's an enemy country. And people in Russia, they tend to, you know, to send the, the, the messages like we are very sorry, we cannot do anything. But, you know, this is not something that we would like to hear from them. You know, like yeah. I would say many, many Ukrainians are like posting right now in the social media the, the request to Russians to go out to the streets and to protest against President Putin because something that he is doing is not like correlating with the with something that they feel about Ukrainians, you know. Uh, so it's it's uh, it's a very difficult situation right now. And, you know, yesterday we witnessed many like heartbreaking stories you know like one of them were like a couple who were standing in the subway who were like hiding from the bombs because they woke up at 5 a.m from uh from the from the sound of explosions and they live next to the uh, uh, secret service office Uh, so it's like fbi ukraine and um and they realized that this is strategical, you know, op- like this is strategical place that can be bombarded any time, you know. So they yeah. left, they hide it in the, the subway at 5 a.m. Uh, and there, uh, it's a couple who had a who have a se- six months old child. Oh. So you can imagine they went to the bomb shelter at 5 a.m. holding their baby. Um, and they had with them only like a couple of slices of bread and some water and two diapers or something. And they spent their eight hours when we met them yeah. already. So, so it's like, and then they didn't have any backup plan. They never thought it could happen, you know? So, and, and when I was asking, started yeah. asking them like, so what is your plan? Where are you going? Are you evacuating or like... What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, like what is like w- what will be your next moves? And they were like, we don't know what to do. Like we have no idea yeah. going to be next, and we ha- we have no idea what to do. And um, you know, the other stories would be like we went to the tram station, you know, and uh, it was packed of people who were trying to desperately trying to get a ticket anywhere anywhere from kiev because you know they well again they woke up at 5 a.m uh hearing the explosion they turn on the, they turned on the tv and you know they realized that it's a that putin overnight declared that he just declared the war you know yeah. no seriously for many ukrainians it was such a big surprise you know and if you uh, if you would take a look on this like huge traffic jam, it's like already two days in a row, huge traffic jam, Western direction, you know, so people are trying to get as far as possible. Uh, they're going West, they're going to Lviv, to Poland, anywhere, you know, anywhere, get out. They're trying to get out from uh, Kiev. But the problem is that if you look on the map of, um, uh, of uh, Ukraine, uh, R- Russians targeted almost all the cities in in, in like all yeah. the b- big cities and small cities in Ukraine. They are targeting specifically the military uh, bases and uh, the military facilities. So uh, the explosion mm-hmm. happened all over uh, all over the Ukraine, and I cannot say that there is uh, any safe place in Ukraine left. You yeah. know, what do you? Yeah, no, I and uh, th- that unfortunately may be exactly what Russia intended to do is to to make it feel like the whole country is not safe. What? Yeah. What you you've got? I mean, you know, I, I just say I, I think you know people listen to this podcast who work in the U.S. government and in European governments. That what would you say to them, uh, to our governments, to the U.S. government and European governments? Uh, what are I'm- the people of you? Uh, explosion. Sorry, I have to. I uh, think I have to uh, hide in. Uh, um, at least in the bathroom, where is, there is no window. Uh, 
You just tell me when you're okay or if you need to go. It was one explosion. I don't know uh, if it. So and there is no uh, there is no sound of warning to go to the bomb shelter. Okay, I can I, I can I think I can uh, continue here for a while. Uh, whereas there is no window here at least. Oh, um, uh, what were you saying? <laughs> Sorry. Well, it's a good. What 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 do you want? What would the people of Ukraine want the U.S. and and Europe to do that they're not doing? I mean, we saw some sanctions announced. What 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 is your message to the people? to the governments of Europe and the United States uh, from the perspective of, of the people of Ukraine? So, as you can see, the sanctions that was imposed by a U.S. government or by the government of UK and any other government, that, like those sanctions doesn't work. So it means it has to be something else. Uh, I know that... Uh, <laughs> That, that, you know, that cutting off the sweet, uh, swift uh, sounds very rush and probably very like hard sanctions to impose. But I think the sanctions has to be really like painful for Russia, you know, for Russia, for um, for President Putin himself and for his closest allies and uh, and uh, Russian oligarchs. Um, who are who are you know who are Putin's wallets basically? They are holding money for him, and um, I think uh, blocking all the foreign accounts for them, it's it it, it it's it can be something that is painful. I know that um, many many Russian oligarchs already listed in the sanction list, but not 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 all of them, and not the main one. And uh, we all know that um, Putin himself, uh, he had a lot of relatives, right? Yeah. He has, uh, he, he have uh, like former wife, he has mistress, and all those people, they're also not in the sanction list. So um, I think, I think politicians has to, you know, has to think about this and they has to um, make this decisions very quickly because as I told you at the beginning, the situation is changing very quickly, you know, and it's changing um, and it's changing in the bad way. And there are many casualties already all over Ukraine. And I don't think Ukraine will be, you know, he, Ukraine will be not not as it was before. So yeah. I think we are now going through our 9-11, you know, this is something that can be, uh, I think, compared to, to something that you experienced. Or worse, worse than 9-11. Worse than um, yeah. What are yeah. the last question? Um, what are, what are your personal plans? Um, what, what do you plan to do in the coming days? Well, uh, I'm a journalist, so <laughs> I, I'm trying to uh, cover this events and I'm trying to, you know, to, to be on the streets. And sadly, I cannot do my regular work as an investigative reporter just because I'm like, I, seriously, like I cannot think anything besides the, the, the war, you know, it's, it's yeah. hard. It's hard to think about anything else, and when people are start asking me something about different topics, like it's hard to even focus and think about anything else. When you're getting this notification about this news, and uh, so uh, as a journalist, I have this, you know, like I covered the revolution in 2013-14, and I covered the war, and later I covered the occupation, like I covered the occupation of Crimea, and later we covered the war. So, um, yeah, this is something that, you know, uh, that any reporter, good reporter in Ukraine are doing right now. It's basically covering the war and um, fighting disinformation and uh, 
to report as many stories as you can from the streets, from like making calls and meeting people. So, um, and I want to stay in Ukraine as long as it takes, uh, but also I know that the good reporter is a live reporter, so I have to take care about my own uh, health and uh, probably I have to think about my relatives in the situation. So it's it's a lot of things yeah. to yeah. think about, you know? And also I'm thinking about my friends who are calling me and asking what to do and where to go. So it's a lot of challenges right now for for me and for any, I think, investigative or any, any Ukrainian journalist or any foreign reporter who is uh, here to cover um, to cover the war. Yeah. Well, look, thanks so much for for uh, talking to us. And we, uh, you know, everybody is watching this with horror and, uh, you know, uh, offering solidarity to the Ukrainian people, even though that's obviously not enough in this moment. Um, but uh, but we hope you stay safe and, and uh, uh, we really appreciate you talking to us. Yeah, no problem. Uh, please, if you... <laughs> Uh, instead of uh, I'm, you know, I'm saying to my all my foreign friends or all my friends abroad, instead of uh, you know showing me the solidarity, please ask your politicians or your uh, leaders of your own country to impose as many sanctions as you can on the president Putin and his uh, closest allies uh, and just make this war stop because we are in Ukraine, a very peaceful country. We want peace and we want to live in our own country. We don't want to live under the occupation or uh, we don't want to be a part of Russia. So, yeah, no, thanks. The, the, the powerful and important message that I, I hope everybody is hearing. Um, so uh, thanks and, and, and have a good rest of your night and I hope, uh, I uh, hope you stay safe and keep in touch and we'll direct people to your work. Uh, I see, you know, they can follow you on Twitter. And um, so we'll continue to do that as well. Yeah, I will try to. Okay. I have to, I think I have to go to the bomb shelter. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, no. Good. Get down there and, and be well. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. When we come back, we'll move from the perspective in Kiev to the perspective in Moscow with Max Seddon, uh, the Financial Times reporter in Moscow. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Okay, we are very pleased to welcome back uh, Max Seddon of the Financial Times in Moscow. Um, Max, thanks for for joining us again. Hi. So, uh, wanted to have you back on. Obviously, you know, we talked, uh, you know, a few days ago that now feels like a few years ago. Um, uh, before you know, Putin had given his speech, but had not launched uh, obviously the the full scale invasion. Um, so, I, I just wanted to start by asking, you know, what what is the the mood? Um, there in Moscow, um, I've been struck, you know, we saw these, these protests that were small, but, you know, notable for, uh, for, for Russia. Um, and in Putin's own comments, you kind of sense a, I don't know, a little defensiveness, uh, about, um, what's been unfolding, but, but what is your kind of summary of where things stand in terms of the mood, uh, uh, politically and in the streets in Moscow these days? I think I wouldn't necessarily read that much quite yet into the protests because um, uh, it's it's just such a difficult barometer of public opinion here when uh, Russia has done so much in the last few years, especially last year, to really really crush dissent. And uh, after what happened to Navalny, you know, the the political opposition basically gave up on on protests as a, as a strategy at all because it just wasn't worth people getting getting in, the, in the, uh, themselves in harm's way so it's obviously it's it's you know, brave of anyone who who goes to who goes to 
do do that. But I think it's you can't really use that to make a point about wider sentiment. And something that um, you see there is this kind of split between Russians and, and Ukrainians, uh, both as uh, President Zelensky and also some uh, Ukrainians I know have been appealing to to Russians to um, you know, really actively protest the war. And uh, yeah, Zelensky was talking, you know, he said, you know, that this is the only thing that can stop the war is if uh, you uh, make, make Putin make a deal with with you. And I I, I think um, um, one, one of the sad consequences of uh, everything that's happened since 2014 is that uh, Russian, uh, you know, Russian political elite and a lot of the Russian society, they really don't understand how Ukraine has changed. And uh, you, you and I think for, for, for Ukrainians uh, who have a very strong tradition of uh, political dissent because they're the uh, imperial uh, periphery, they're the colonial subject. And uh, uh, Russia, Russia is you know, the center of the, of, the, of the empire. They don't necessarily understand that you know, Russia doesn't have you know, a big protest tradition in the way that they do. You know, the most famous anti-war protest in Russian history was uh, was how many, I think six people uh, protested the invasion yeah. of Czechoslovakia in 1968. Uh, so uh, what I do think, uh, though, that you are seeing that's quite significant is uh, the the influencers and the celebrities are are starting yeah. to, uh, if not revolt, like there are certainly, you know, some cracks in, in the matrix. You have to remember that celebrity politics is really important, like Putin in, in quite a lot of ways, like Putin and spin doctors, they were the first people uh, to, to really realize um, that, um, as I guess like they would say on Chapo Trap House, that being a celebrity is better than being a politician and uh, uh, celebrities make better politicians and politicians. And that was you know, what Trump you know, um, turned out to be really brilliant at in, 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 the, in the West. But if you look at uh, the, the early years of Putin, um, since Putin was kind of this blank slate, no one really knew him. When he when he came in, they they made him this uh, sort of celebrity like James Bond figure. They put a bunch of celebrities in the parliament when they uh, started started uh, defanging it. And uh, so um, celebrities are you know, important barometers, part, partly for that reason. Also, uh, because celebrities face uh, bigger uh, risks than quite a lot of people for speaking out because the culture industry is pretty much totally dominated by the state and it's uh, heavily censored. So if you're an actor and you say, you know, I love Navalny, like you're not getting on, on TV. If, yeah. if you're a singer, you know, not just uh, that you won't be able to be on the Channel One cheesy New Year's show, it might be hard for you to, to make money from concerts even. That happened to some uh, anti-Putin rappers. And so you would see a lot of uh, a lot of the best, just like really, really cheesy Russian singers. They, they they post some anti-war messages on on social media. You saw a few athletes like um, I know American listeners might know Evgeny Medvedeva, the yeah. uh, uh, the former figure skater, uh, who's who's a, who I think is a good example because you know she's a former athlete and now now they have her you know comment on figure skating on on state TV. So she's you know been been doubly dependent in her young life. And uh, today, even uh, uh, Putin's spokesman's daughter, who's who's a sort of uh, minor social media influencer, published uh, an anti-war message. I, I, I think it's important to say that, you know, this is not um, it's, uh, none of these people are mentioning Putin by name. It's mostly they yeah. uh, they post some sort of black square and um, say, oh, no, the war or, you know, like we, we, you know, the Ukrainians are our brothers or um, some some kind of both sides the type type message. But that in, in 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 the current Russian political environment is significant in itself, because uh, firstly, uh, you know, you can be you, you can really be punished. The uh, Russian Russian media censor said that uh, any any outlet that uh, doesn't doesn't quote uh, official, uh, of course, any, anything other than official information uh, can 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 be blocked. And uh, the official information coming from Russia, uh, they're they're not even officially doing a full scale invasion of Ukraine. They're, they're trying to portray this as a uh, limited uh, special operation to liberate just the Donbass and in the east. And and yeah, these people they do face consequences. There are uh, one one of the Russian celebrities who who spoke out was uh, this guy Ivan. Oregon, who's kind of the Jimmy Fallon of, of Russia. Like Stephen Colbert was on a show when, yeah, when, when yeah. he came here. He, he, has, he has a show like that. And uh, his show is uh, uh, unusually not airing tonight. 
And uh, there are some reports, I don't know if it's been confirmed yet, but there are reports in Russian media that I saw this afternoon that uh, his, his show has been canceled. And you know, he, he's one of the most popular TV hosts, but uh, that would obviously be very damaging for the Kremlin to, to have some sort of uh, moment where, you know, you have a popular host speaking out against the war live on air. So it's, it's obviously, you know, too early to tell. Uh, it's, it's a long way from, um, you know, the, the kind of thing that Zelensky was talking about, Russians rising up en masse to stop the war. But I, I think um, a lot of people, and including in the elite, you know, who I've, who I've spoken to, various people who work for state companies and things like that, uh, they, everyone I've spoken to feels, feels kind of disgusted by it. Well, I was going to ask you, you know, because there are such deep ties, right? Uh, there are a lot of people in Russia with family in Ukraine. There obviously are ethnic Russians in Ukraine. Um, they're, they're fellow Slavs. Um, this could be really bad in terms of civilian loss of life. If the Ukrainians are resisting in the cities and, and you know, you start to see the kinds of tactics that Russia employed in Syria, um, uh, the combination of air power and street fighting and kind of indiscriminate violence. Uh, and there have already been some reports uh, that obviously have to be verified of um, apartment buildings or even schools or hospitals that have been hit. Um, wh- what do you, what is your sense of the, how a, a, a like a months long, you know, uh, recognizing that, that not, that, that information is somewhat controlled by the Kremlin there, but it, it, you know, if, if there are months of a pretty large scale civilian death and suffering in, in Ukraine where people have family and people know people and, and people feel an ethnic, uh, uh, connection, what is the possibility of that really beginning to affect Russian moods in your sense? You know, if you, if, in talking to any of your contacts, some of whom I'm sure have, you know, family or friends in Ukraine. Do you feel like that's a possibility um, that, that that starts to erode public support? I mean, we were talking about the Security Council meeting you know, last time. Uh, you know, some some of the people uh, speaking there, you know, they grew up in Ukraine. Dmitry Kozak, Valentina Matvienko, you know, two, two very senior people in, in the Russian system. And I'm sure that more people at that Security Council, they have relatives in Ukraine. One of, one of the biggest... Um, uh, state state TV uh, anti-Ukraine propaganda guys. His dad lives in Eastern Ukraine, yeah, in, in the Russian-speaking part of, of of Ukraine, and you know he's out there every day going, oh, you know, the Ukrainian Nazis are, are coming to kill the Russian speakers, uh, and it's it's this amazing cognitive dissonance that's really required to to keep it up. Obviously, you have that in any war. You know, every every government does that, but I think here, you know, even even the premise. Uh, is so so different from what they're actually doing, and um, to to the point where it's it's uh, I think I think um, I mean it's something that Russia is not being honest with the Ukrainian people about. If you look at some of the, some of the things that they've said, it's like this real double think. Like uh, the foreign ministry said, uh, you know, uh, this this is not the beginning of a war. We, we are ending the war because we are forcing the Ukrainian Nazis to conclude peace. But this is also not the end of the war. If, if you know what that means, you're, yeah. <laughs> you're smarter than me. Uh, and um, you, you, um, you, you would get that um, there was this uh, today, uh, there was this amazing little, little series, I think it was very, very um uh, illustrative, both in how twisted the Russian narratives are, and also how uh, even the people who seem to be in charge of the narratives they don't really know what the narrative is supposed to be because it's just Putin deciding all the stuff unilaterally, uh, unilaterally on on his own. So um, one one of the Russian demands uh, for for Ukraine is that Ukraine declare neutrality, presumably in some sort of Finland or or Austria yeah. type type yeah. way. And uh, Zelensky said said today that he was prepared to put neutrality on the table and have talks with with Russia about it. And then Russia really uh, seized on this. On on the one hand, you know, first you had 
uh, Peskov, uh, Putin's spokesman, saying, oh, yeah, this is a step in the right direction. Uh, we're we're going to have a think about this. But then at around the same time, Lavrov, the foreign minister, uh, is is speaking. Uh, and you know this is totally uncoordinated. Obviously, they're speaking at the same time in different places. And he says, no, we will not have any negotiations with them about neutrality. Zelensky is lying. And you think, wait, what is the what is the line? Maybe there is no line because neither of these guys know know what it is they just it's possible you know either they're just trying to create confusion to demoralize ukrainians or you know they just they just don't know and then and then putin comes out a few hours later he he says that he that he does support the idea of negotiations he he talks about it with uh, uh xi jinping from china uh who also endorses it uh they they say let's have it in belarus uh lukashenko comes out and says oh yeah i'm perfectly happy to have you in in belarus and uh, then, uh, and then, and then Russia started complaining that uh, you know they uh, the Kremlin said they started haggling with with Ukraine over the venue because Belarus, because it's a launching pad for all these Russian attacks now, uh, kind of you know lost its credibility as a neutral venue. You know why would you why would Ukraine ever do that? And uh, and then and then Ukraine, you know, they stopped you know uh, picking up the phone when Russia was calling. Uh, the way the way that Russia had it, and um, the, yeah, the, and the cognitive distance is just amazing because of, because you think well, well you were bombing them at the time, like yeah. according to yeah. Zelensky, you were literally trying to assassinate him, and like and you're mad that he's not you know picking picking up the the phone, and so um, that's that's not something that's something you could really keep up, and it could go number of ways. I think the two most likely ones uh, there's a relatively optimistic scenario. Which is that either Russia always wanted to go for the kind of Georgia 2008 uh, option, which which is you you do it quickly. The the casualties are relatively limited to compared to what they could be, and uh, you 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 achieve your uh, geopolitical objectives in a matter of days. And um, if, if you look at Georgia. Russia's kind of accepted that the population of Georgia is never going to love it again, but uh, it's also never going to join uh, the EU and NATO while there's Russian troops and 20% of its territory. And they have this uh, kind of Russia acceptable oligarch who's the sort of shadow uh, power behind the throne. There are any numbers of number of oligarchs who, you know, could theoretically be that guy in Ukraine. The problem is the Ukrainian people don't want that anymore. You know, that's why they like the Zelensky in the landslide yeah. because he was someone from outside so they can smash that. And so so maybe you know there are reports that um uh Russians are not doing as well as they seem to have thought that they would. Maybe they want to get this over with because they can't sell the number of uh, civilian casualties and all the destruction that would require. But uh, the uh, pessimistic way to look at it is um, Putin was saying, you know, we need to have these talks because the the Ukrainian Nazis and uh, the Russian messaging is trying to say, oh, you know, we're not against uh, the Ukrainian soldiers. Uh, he uh, Putin encouraged the Ukrainian army to do a coup against Zelensky, uh, which is just really amazing because you ask Putin, the whole reason this is all happening is because in 2014 you had the Maidan revolution, which because yeah. Putin doesn't believe that you can have a, a democratic revolution, he thinks you know someone's always behind it. He says it was a foreign-backed armed coup, and then here he is, leader of a foreign power, saying, "I want you to do a foreign-backed armed yeah. coup." Yeah. It's just un- unbelievable cognitive dissonance. But but the sort of the, the pessimistic way to think about it, and this you know going back to the Syria comparison is that they didn't do so well in the beginning, and maybe that will they've only used about 30 percent of their forces so far in the operation from what i understand so it's possible that you know they they have uh, all sorts of uh firepower equipment and manpower that they haven't used yet and they can make things much worse for ukrainians and uh, that would cause a lot more more destruction and it may just be that putin by saying these things was trying to prepare his own population for turning kiev or Kharkov into uh aleppo and and homs these horrible images of uh of of destruction uh because uh he's he's prepared to go that far we just don't know yet i was one thing that i've been wondering is is you know i remember in the donbass you know uh russia going to great lengths to kind of conceal any russian casualties obviously the numbers are likely to be higher um on the russian side in terms of casualties um what is your anticipation of the the reliability of of the reporting around Russian loss of life or, or, or casualties in this operation? Well, um, the the official Russian poll at the moment is uh, is zero. 
Yeah. Uh, that, I, I, I'm seems impossible, they've, they've right? Said this. Yeah. 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 Um, and uh, Ukraine, uh, Ukrainian deputy defense minister posted, uh, I think it was 20, 2800 a couple hours ago as of uh, as of Friday evening and, and wrote welcome to hell. Um, and um, uh, of course, you know, a any side in the war and, uh, you know, Ukraine. Uh, this was a thing in 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 uh, in 2014 that you know one that made the war difficult to cover when I when I first started in the Donbass was obviously Russia was lying you know just about you know completely fundamental things like the fact that they were fighting the war but it didn't mean that Ukraine was telling the truth about everything either far from it this is what happens in the war every government yeah. does this yeah uh, you you know better than me <laughs> and, um, uh, so you know I, I think I think the true answer is somewhere between. Uh, zero and and three thousand. I, I I think it's way too early to tell, and it's uh it's it, it, this kind of intense fighting is very difficult to tell. Uh, what I what I think this is I think this is less about the the Russian casualties. I think this is um that's that's going to be in uh, Russia's calculations. I think what's going to influence Russia more is uh, the Ukrainian cost benefit analysis because one one thing that i think we can say for sure about russia is that they've massively underestimated uh the the resolve of uh ukrainian people i think putin generally doesn't believe that yeah. that ukraine is you know in, 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 that this united uh ukrainian civic identity that you know, he, he really created by invading it in 2014 yeah. and he's reinforced the even even more now and you know i was i was just watching cnn there was a uh young uh woman member of parliament, you know, talking about how, you know, she had a AK-47 that she was going to use if uh, the Russians were close enough to her. And, that, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, all sorts of, yeah, there's something that there's, uh, however, it's a, it's a 500,000 or a million uh, reservists uh, in the territorial defense forces, the kind of dad's army, you would call it in, in the UK. And um, I think, I think uh, it's, it's, if if the Ukrainians are are going to put up you know a really sustained fight, it's you know how long can you can you sustain that uh, without the the optics uh, really you know, getting bad enough that defeats the purpose of you doing it in 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 the first place, and it becomes some kind of you know equivalent of the Soviet version yeah. of Afghanistan because then that creates problems for you domestically and uh, it just starts to spiral. Yeah. One one more question for you uh, is just we saw obviously the U.S. and and some Europe and and some European countries begin to announce you know sanctions. Uh, I saw your good reporting on this kind of pretty extraordinary meeting that Putin convened with the oligarchs. Um, what is your sense of the you know the the reaction to the initial tranche of, of sanctions? And and I also wanted to ask you know there's a kind of growing movement towards in addition to sanctions, just kind of kicking Russia out of stuff, for lack of a better way of putting it, uh, everything from like not letting flights land to potentially, you know, canceling, you know, sports uh, membership and federations or um, to, you know, more severe things like trying to evict them from certain international organizations. Um, what do you think matters uh, or uh, um, to obviously there's Putin, but then there's uh, the, those those oligarchs in uh, in the meeting and the people around him. I mean, of what you've seen so far, what 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 do you think is the most consequential? Well, I think I think we have to think. You know, what what is the point of the sanctions? Is it you know some sort of moral support to Ukraine? Are you actually trying to stop Putin somehow, or are there pernicious uh, elements uh, of uh, some sort of Russian influence in Western Western business, Western society that you're using this as an opportunity? To to go after in terms of uh, what what sanctions are going to cause the most pain. What I'm what I'm interested to see because I I am the first to admit I don't really understand this myself. Yeah, is uh, the technology sanctions because um, Russia doesn't doesn't produce uh, you know any any real you know tech components of its own. And uh, Taiwan has joined these sanctions. Taiwan is of course semiconductor central. So yeah. um, uh, Russia is going to be just basically completely dependent on on China. Um, uh technologically 
And you know, that, that's a decision that Russia's made consciously. Uh, the Kremlin was asked about this a month ago when this idea was first floated. And uh, Peskov, Putin spoke to me, said, you know, the happiness of the Russian people is not in dishwashers. So um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so they could weather it. I, I, and um, I mean, there's a lot of uneasiness in the Russian elite about China, but it's a sort of devil's bargain that they've made. So like, do we feel great about uh, Huawei uh, being the possibly the only operator for Russian 5G? Like maybe we, we, we don't, but like, would, would we rather Huawei have all of our data or America have all of our data, like better the Chinese than the Americans? So that's how they, how they look at it. Uh, in, in terms of the pain that that would uh, deliver to uh, Russian companies and Russian people, um, I, I, I don't know enough. I think it's too early to, to tell so far what, what the effect of these sanctions is going to be. We're kind of in new territory because this was done against, you know, Huawei, which is a big company, yeah. but this is uh, Russia, which is a country. What also we, we have yet to see is what is the effect going to be of the Russian retaliation, because uh, Russia is quite fond of uh, what they like to call the asymmetrical response, because yeah. when when they, when they first started doing sanctions, you know, you ban Russians who used to go to the West a lot, had assets there from going to the West, and then they would ban, um, uh, you know, John McCain from, from Russia. Me, and me. Then... I was I was in the first tranche, man. I was uh, I was oh, with really? McCain. Oh, okay. Yeah, the, the, I, all and, my and I, yeah, I, yeah. Everyone just I makes know, the same I joke. I know rubles which, though, which so is, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> well, and everyone makes you know the same joke, which is oh damn, my my uh, Siberian. There goes my Siberian summer vacation, which is an, yeah. an awfully ignorant thing to say because the Siberian. If you like hiking, a Siberian summer vacation is absolutely awesome. It's beautiful out there. But um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'll uh, never find so, out. I'll never find out. You never, you, well, yeah, you know, <laughs> well, <laughs> sanctions are war by by other means. You know, the, yeah, this, yeah. It, that's um, there's this uh, new book out about the history of sanctions called the economic weapon. That's that's what they are. Yeah. And it's it's, uh, you know, like in a, you know, in a fighting war, you've got to use your cost benefit analysis, which is, uh, you know, how, how much pain am I willing to inflict on myself uh, for, for the sake of inflicting pain on my my adversary? I mean, we are in in uncharted territory here. We really don't know how this is going to go. Yeah, this yeah, is a new yeah. era in the world. This as of as of yesterday, we we it, are you know it's all new. It feels very much like that. It feels very much like that, and it it feels like um, I mean, energy would be the place that might actually make a difference, but it would make the biggest difference to us too. And there's not a sense of people wanting to do that yet. But if the images in Ukraine continue to escalate, you know. This all could yeah, but, 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 um, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I think main takeaway is like this: like this is over. Like that's like, over. Yeah, know. that era. With the, <laughs> yeah. There's a 30, 32 year era that just ended uh, yesterday. Uh, and Frank, you had a good, you, you had a good run. You had a good run. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, man. Well, look, I really appreciate Max you coming on. I, our listeners, I know, really, really appreciate getting your your insight. And uh, I know you, I'm glad to you hear it. probably you. Work, working around the clock there, uh, so I'm sure you, you need a little sleep at some yeah, point. Tell me um, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, all right. Well, take care, and uh, we'll we'll we'll, we'll give right. you we'll we'll come back to you, but uh, we'll, uh, a little bit later. But uh, we we really absolutely uh, great. Hope you hang in there. All right, all right man. So much. Take care. Thanks very much to Tanya Kozreva. Uh, we hope she is well um, and really appreciate her perspective uh, and that incredibly powerful 30 minutes that we shared with her. Thanks to Max Sedden, as always, for his very cogent and wide-ranging analysis. Um, Max has just been invaluable uh, the last week. And thanks to you for uh, listening to us here Um uh, we hope you continue to tune in. Uh, if you got friends who are trying to figure out what's happening uh, in Ukraine, um, uh, feel free to refer them to the, this podcast because we're gonna we're gonna continue to devote a lot of time and attention to this, guys. But take care of yourselves for now. Um, see you next week. Pod Save the World is a Crooked Media production. The executive producer is Michael Martinez. Our producer is Haley Muse. It's mixed and edited by Andrew Chadwick. Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thanks to our digital team, Elijah Cohn, Yale Freed, and Phoebe Bradford, who film and share our episodes as videos each week. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. 
The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.